got your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah. We're still in chapter 51, as we were last week. We'll finish that up today. You know, usually when we, we think of fear, we think of our children having fear. I have, obviously, oh no, I have two children. I was going to say I have two children. I think you realize that by now. And one of them, and I'm not going to say which one, has fears. There are things that scare this child. And I, being the good father, make sure she has plenty of opportunity to face those fears. I'm not mean, but I remind her that we don't need to be afraid of things. Now, probably the most common fear that we probably think of when we think of a child is fear of the dark. Fear of the unknown. We don't know what's in the dark. But today I think that we as adults have probably more fears than children do. You know, there are over a hundred, they've been named of over a hundred different fears or phobias. And, and while some of us might think that some of these fears are irrational, ridiculous, I have the fear I'm going to break my glasses, and I did this week. So I'm like figuring out which ones I need to wear. Oh, there, you guys are. You're not fuzzy. <laughs> So, there's, most of us think a lot of these fears might be irrational because we're not, we don't experience them. But for the person who's experiencing that fear, that, that fear is real. That fear is not irrational. It's very rational. So I want to share with you a few of these. Uh, it's a condensed list, obviously. I'm not going to go through all hundred of them. But some of these fears you might experience in your life. And I'm going to try to pronounce these things, so forgive me if I mispronounce but I don't see anybody else standing up to say, hey, I want to pronounce those words. Uh, first one is called anthropophobia. That is the fear of people. Um, not so sure. You know, there's certain, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you've got anthropophobia, I got to say, look, I have to say anthropophobia, you're not going to be someone who's working retail. Because every time someone comes to the store, you're going to run to the back of the store. You don't want to deal with them. It's that fear of people. There's acrophobia. It's the fear of heights. I have a little bit of that, but I can, that one's easy for me to overcome. There's claustrophobia. Many of us know what that is. I have that to a large degree. I have nightmares of being buried alive and not able to move. I don't like it. My bed, if you tuck my sheets in, I kick them out. I don't like being trapped. It's that fear of an enclosed space. That's why sometimes I don't like large crowds where I can't move because I feel like I'm confined. There's sinophobia, the fear of dogs. There's kleptophobia, which I thought it was, yep, that's, that's klepto, that's, that's stealing. It's the fear of thieves. I, I, it's interesting, when we moved to Ossian, we were told, oh man, most people here still don't lock their doors. And I'm sure there may be some of you here that still don't lock your doors. I'm like, time to put the deadbolts on. It's that fear that's, and, and we've never had a problem, no strange people besides me walking around my house. There's aquaphobia. Obviously, what's aquaphobia? Fear of water. Makes sense. Brontophobia. A lot of kids have this. A lot of adults have this. I don't have this fear. It's the fear of thunderstorms. Where do you think you can find me when a thunderstorm's starting, starting to go? I'm out in the middle of the yard watching for it. I don't have fear of it. 
dentophobia. It's the fear of dentists. I don't have the fear of dentists. I just don't like going to the dentist and having them pick my teeth with sharp objects and then tell me, don't pick your teeth with sharp objects. Practice what you preach. Skyophobia. It's the fear of shadows. I thought these were just, well, these were just kind of interesting. <laughs> Arachabutrophobia. Trirophobia. It's the fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. That's Matthew. Oh, yeah, he's got that fear. We missed that the other night. Paniophobia, it's the fear of poverty. Barophobia is the fear of gravity. Now, can you imagine that one? Oh, okay, okay. The fear of gravity. I never heard of that one. That was kind of odd. Pantophobia is the morbid dread of everything. And that's just a small list. That's just a beginning of... It's a one-tenth of list, maybe, of what their total phobia is. Things out there that we can be afraid of. There are even those today who are still afraid of the big C word that we dealt with over the last two, two years that I can't say without being canceled. And, and you no, no amount of proof is going to convince them others. You can show them studies where certain things that you know you put on your face don't work and where the... The big B word isn't always good for everybody, and you know I'm, I'm pushing the envelope here. I'm going to get, I'm going to be have to be careful. But we can tell them, you can show them, it's still not going to matter. You could, I could tell this child of mine, you do not need to be afraid of the dark. There's nothing in the dark. It won't matter. Nothing changes that fear. So where do these fears come from? For me, there seems to be something or someone who wishes for us to live in a state of constant fear. So it's definitely not from God. Paul tells Timothy in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You and I do not have a spirit of fear. We should not be afraid of anything. Tell me that when I'm walking in the woods and I hear a rattle. I'm going to be afraid. It's natural. But God did not give us the spirit where we're supposed to live in fear all of our lives, every day afraid of something. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Psychologists, they've, they've postulated that the actual fear that's at the core of all these other fears is called thanatophobia, which is the fear of death. It's the unknown that worries us and scares us. Fear opens our hearts to the evil one. Because fear is connected to the lack of power and the lack of love. He has no power. He has no love. So what he wants to do, he wants to come, he wants to get us scared enough so we think we have no power and we have no love, and now we live in a state of constant fear. He wants us to be fearful and discouraged because when we're afraid of things, we don't experience life we're supposed to. We get discouraged. He wants us to think that fear is nothing more than an emotion. It's more than an emotion. 
But see, the beauty that we have as believers in Christ is that the word of God will break through that fear. And faith comes through hearing and hearing by what? By the, through the word of God. And when we have faith, fear flees. It no longer can be in our presence. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, he says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. That's what I try to tell my child. I say, listen, there's nothing in the garage that's going to get you, and Jesus is always with you. John goes on, he says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also, also are we in this world. We are in this world. It's just the way it's going to be. There's going to be things that are come up against us, and they're going to want to instill fear in us. But we don't have to worry about that because we have Jesus Christ with us. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know, last week we, we, we talked about, we were looking at the Israelites, and, and, and the concern they had, the fear they had, and we went, God was wanting them to look past the moment that they were, they were, they were in it and to find the hope that they should have. And for us, that we need to have hope in troubled times. Today we're going to continue to explore that. How can we overcome our fears? So let's go to Isaiah 51, starting with verse 14. He says, He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth, and saying to Zion, you are my people. You know, today it's very easy for us to feel like prisoners in our emotions, prisoners in this world that seems to be falling apart. We're held captive by our sinful desires held captive by our addictions. We feel powerless and not being able to overcome the flesh. We can also be feeling imprisoned by the world around us. I mean, I, I am, I'm very much up to date on the technology. You want to talk about AI? I can talk to you a lot about AI, a lot of details about AI. I've done a lot of research in this. But I can't imagine some of our older population who have seen things change in such a way so quick they can't even begin to fathom what this world is really going to be like. And it's happening faster and faster. Just a, a quick note here. Um, there's, there's, for those of you who don't know, there's this thing called ChatGPT, which is where you go in and you can talk to an AI, you can ask it questions. It's read the whole internet. You can ask it questions and it will give you answers. The problem is that they're trying to figure out whether or not it's thinking like you're thinking. Like, when I look at Bill Yoder, I can guess what he's thinking most of the time. I mean, I understand. We, we are humans. All of us. We interact. AI didn't do that in ChatGTP3. It was about the age of a six-year-old. In a year and a half, it's now the, it can do what an adult can do. 
the equivalent of an adult. That's how quickly it's changing. It's able to, th it's able to think about what you're going to think about. Life is changing quickly for us. We feel trapped in this. You see the things going on in the financial world. We, I, I, can't, I can't do much about that. I'm trapped. We feel powerless. The evil in this world can at times seem oppressive. We feel trapped, unable to survive. We, what are we going to do? So God is, in here in these verses, he's addressing those who are bowed down. Now, there's, there's two meanings for this word. It could be that these people are bowed down because the oppression is so great that they are on the ground. They have been pushed down. Or they could be people who have poured themselves out to God. Who do I bow to? Who, who, who am I giving my life to? Who am I bowing myself to? Is it, is it my, my desires? Is it, is it you know, my, my leaders? My boss? Or is it God? So there's two meanings for that word. In verse 13, Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the oppressor who has set himself to destroy, but, but God is going to set the prisoners free. His children will be set free from their exile in Babylon. This is to the people in Babylon. It's going to, he's going to set them free. But there's a great object lesson here because remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always does things the same way. So as we look at Scripture, we can see what He's going to do. So if He is going to release the exiles from Babylon, He will, put, he will set us free from the chains that bind us. You know, whenever I go to the beach, I love going to the beach. I told you that a couple weeks ago. I love to sit and I love, love to listen to the sound of the waves hitting the shore over and over again. I'm amazed at the power of the waves. Now, it's a beautiful sound. I it's a calming sound. But if you stand in the midst of the big waves, it has the power to turn you over, to tumble you down. Abigail found that out when she was boogie boarding this last time we were on vacation. She flipped head over heels, face panted into the sand, and the board came and hit her in the forehead. She was fine. She was laughing. She was having so much fun. But there's power to stand, you know, stand in the waves up to here, and when that wave hits you, it'll knock you over. There's power in those waves. It's God who created them. It's God who stirs the waves. There's nothing that is beyond his ability. We gotta keep remembering that. We, we a lot of times we, we like to think of you know there's you got evil over here and you have God over here and they're equal and they're fighting. Oh no no no, God is much more powerful. He's just sitting back waiting. Go ahead, do your thing. You're playing right into my hands. I see that over and over again in Scripture. Every single time Satan tries to do something that he thinks is the right thing to do, and he's got God this time. God just sits there and says, you're, you're going to be your worst enemy. That's what's going to happen. And guess what happens? God is going to set us free. And how? How does he set us free? It's by words. It's by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are set free. See, the gospel frees us from the kingdom of Satan through repentance and faith 
that he can set us free and by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that, in that whole process, the, the story of the crucifixion should give us courage. What do you mean courage? Huh. The man died on a cross. Yeah, he did willingly. Talk about courage. And then in three days, he rose again. Talk about promise. The writer of Psalms, this is what the writer of Psalms says in Psalm 118.6. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I was talking to my kids this week. I, 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 I always question how much I should share with them about what I know about what's going on in the world and what steps, how, where are we at. And one of the things, there's a couple things that are happening. I don't want, I'm not going to share the details now, but there's some things happening in the world. And I, I told them, I said, this year, probably late this, you know, late this season, this is either late summer or early fall, something drastic is going to happen in this world, and we're going to have to be ready for it. Just every sign is pointing towards it. And Abigail says, should we be afraid? I said, no, why would we be afraid? Do we have Christ? Do we have God? Is God still on his throne? Yes. Yes. I have no fear. Do your best. Do your worst. Go ahead. I have no fear. I have no fear. God will take care of it. God's plan is still working out. I am not beyond his reach, and neither are those who are persecuting us. We'll talk about that in a moment. But see, my courage, true courage doesn't come from my own bravado. It's not just me being strong. True courage comes from the promises that God has laid out for us in Scripture. See, we are, we are doomed if we think we're strong enough to fend for ourselves. You know, I, I like to think that, you know, if I was dropped in the middle of the woods, I could probably survive. I think <laughs> I probably could. It wouldn't be pleasant. I'd look pretty bad when I came out. But understand that it's, it's not me. It's God who does it. It's God who I can trust in. It's God who brings me through. We have a God who's watching over us, helping us. He's helping us to face anything that this world's going to throw at us. I had a lot of things thrown at me. And I sit and I look back and I'm like, I never could have done it without God. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through what some of the things I've gone through in my life without God. And what I have ahead of me without God. And there are times, I know, the evil in this world seems invincible. But even Jesus is more powerful than they are. We have a God who, who watches us and he's released us from the darkness of this world into the glorious kingdom of his light. Paul tells the church in Colossae, in Colossians 1.13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom to the kingdom of his beloved son. We, we have been transferred. You know? <laughs> it's... It's like it's like you know you have a job and you, you really hate your job. You're working in a terrible department and you've put in for a transfer. It's happened and now you're in a better place. God has transported us. He's transferred us from the from the evil of this world, from the kingdom of this world to His kingdom. We live. We don't live. We live in this kingdom. 
here on earth, but it's, we're not of this kingdom. Our home is with Christ in his kingdom, which is coming into fulfillment. It's here now, but it's not yet. And, you know, no matter what our argument, and we all have them, you know, we don't deserve it. We just barely believe. We can never live up to his expectations. We're cowards. We cannot change. God says he's going to bless us accordingly and with and everything's going to change. Look what he says in verse 15, uh, 17 of, of Isaiah 51. He says, wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl the cup of staggering. Wake up. He says, wake yourself. He's not saying, I'm going to wake you up. He's saying, you wake up. God is not going to force you to trust him. He's going to say, you have to realize, I'm here for you. Turn to me. You're going to fail on your own. Turn to me. Now, wake up. Many times, God's people are asleep. We're spiritually asleep. We can't see what God is doing around us in our lives. We we get lulled into the sense, it's exactly what the evil one wants us to do. We get lulled into this idea that what I'm doing in my own way, fulfilling my own selfish desires, is what is the right thing to do. The world will tell you it is. We think that's the right path to take. We need to realize that we need to wake up and turn back to God's ways. We're no different than the Israelites. We all have been falling asleep. We get lulled into this place where we're comfortable where we're at. So what does God do? He comes in, he shakes us up. He wakes us up. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, whether they are good or bad in our lives, will work out for his good. Not Maybe not even my good. I may not understand what God's allowing to happen in my life right now, but it all works out for His good according to His purpose if we love Him and if we're spiritually awake. He's moving in our lives. But see, the Israelites were spiritually dead. They were spiritually dead before they went into captivity, and they haven't changed much while they're in captivity. And they've drunk the wrath. They had to drink the wrath of God. And they, get, they drink so much of the wrath of God that they are staggering. You know how it is. Sometimes you feel like you're under oppression and you just, I mean, you just, oh, you're, you're, you're like woozy because it's like being hit with a, you know, a frying pan on your head. I've been, known, I've been known to fall and pass out when I was young, climbing the monkey bars, hit my head, I pass out, I wake up someplace else. And when I wake up, I'm, whoa. That's what the wrath of God does to us. That's what God putting us through things. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to get our attention. But they were spiritually asleep. See, see what, what the Israelites, Judah, did not understand, it was not the captors that were causing their issues. It was God. And you and I have to understand, yes, there are some things that we do, some decisions that we make that put us in positions that are our fault. No doubt about it. I'll, I'll admit, a lot of things that I have to go through that are not fun, it's my fault because I made the wrong choice. But many times God's allowing me to go through that to teach me, to wake me up. I can't blame 
the world around me. I can't blame my family. I can't, nine times out of ten, I can't really even blame myself. It's because God wants it to happen to change me, to winnow me, to improve me. The Israelites were experiencing God's wrath, not the wrath of the Babylonians. And here's the thing. There's no escaping God's wrath. There's no escaping what God wants you to go through. This is why we we must not be fearful and lose hope when we face trials. Jesus' half-brother James says in James 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Understand, no human power could rescue the Israelites. When God has you in a place where he's teaching you, no human power can rescue you. Nobody's going to come to your rescue. God says it here in verse 18 of Isaiah 51. He says, There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. Your children will not save you. Your government will not save you. Your neighbors will not save you. You cannot save yourself. Only God can save you. And what they are suffering, what the Israelites are suffering is bad. In fact, it's a double curse. Look at verse 19. It says, these two things have happened to you. You Who will console you? Nobody. Because you deserve it. Devastation and destruction. Famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Even the strongest among the people are too weak to save them. Verse 20 Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord. They rebuke the rebuke of your God. No human defense, no no human defense or comfort can help you. There's only one place that we can turn in our times of trial to be rescued. As I was reading this, especially last night and this morning. I started thinking, some things started hitting me, and I didn't want to completely rewrite my sermon, so I just want to briefly mention this to you. These verses reminded me that the day is coming when we're going to feel persecution like you would never believe would ever come. Apocalyptic things are going to happen to us as people, and there'll be no one who can save us. There'll be no one. Our children are lying in the street. This world is getting ready for a good, godly rebuke. It's going to happen. And people are going to say, whoa, wow, is this happening? And you know what? We can sit back and say, it's because of what you've done and what we have done. Repent. Turn back to God. He's the only one who can save us. Verse 21. Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. 
God is the one who gave the wrath. It's God who will take it away. He knows when to give us trials. He knows when he wants to get our attention, what he has to do. And he knows when we've reached the end of ourselves and we need him to take it back, and he takes it back. For the Israelites, their redemption time had come. It was time. They had, they had paid their due. God wanted them to be awake and to the timing and the love and into his promises. You see, you and I, we need to be spiritually awake to the promises of God. When our faith is weak, we, we're in a hurry for the trial to be over. You know you've been there. You're in the midst of all the, of some trouble, and you're like, oh, God, when is this going to be over? I especially look at this at, as an end-of-life thing. You know, as my father was laying there in the bed, I, we prayed. I prayed over and over again, Lord, make this end. He's, he's, he's just, we're just keeping him comfortable. When is this going to end? Take him now. And I tell my dad, let go. It's time to go home. You know? I want it over. I don't want to be going through this anymore. I want to move on. I want it to be done and I want to move on. But God says, no, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. We need to be awake to the promises of God. We need to wait patiently for God to end the trials that we're in. But see, when our faith is strong, we don't complain about the timing. We, we, we relish the time that God is taking to teach us for us to grow. We patiently wait. I don't like it. I hate to patiently wait. The writer of Psalms tells us, so wait in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Don't get ahead of him. I always tell people, don't get ahead of the Holy Spirit. And certainly don't fall behind. Keep up with him. As God works in achieving his, his purposes in our lives. And, and, and believe me, he, he wants it to get to that perfect place. He loves to see our faith. For us patiently waiting. Okay, Lord, you know what I want. I want this to be done. But you know what? I understand. Help me to be patient. Help me to persevere through this. He doesn't want us to look for the easy answers and the easy rewards until he finally will reveal them in our lives. And, and the hardest thing I think of is when we're in trials is to watch everybody else around us that we, you know, we think. Believe me, they're going through trials too. But we, we see people succeeding around us. Especially those who don't know Christ, you see them succeeding. Well, why? Think about this. Think about the, the richest man in the world. And it's either, it's either Bill Gates, Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos. One of those three. And you think, how? How, how is it possible they have all that money? How much good could we do as believers with that money? What could we do with it? And yet they have it all. That's God's providence. That's what God has decided. I'm, I'm, you know, God is God. I am not. I always tell people, suck it up, buttercup. Put your big boy pants on and let's get going. You can't control what God does. He knows better. Wait for the Lord. But we say, have we been faithful? Did, did, did we do something to upset God? Well, no. 
we, we must remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 37. He says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't, don't worry about what all those people are doing. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And there is the answer. We think that, you know, we're the ones suffering right now and it's never going to end. No, God's going to turn the tables. God's going to do more than just take away the cup of the wrath. He is actually going to pour that cup out on those who are the persecutors. We see this in verse 23. He says, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors. I'm going to take the cup and I'm going to put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And, and you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Jerusalem's no longer going to lie down prostrate and demoralized. They had been victim of their captors for years. And for good reason, mind you, they deserved it. But Yahweh's wrath has been fulfilled, and enough is enough. One day God's going to say, enough is enough for this world. Now it's time for me to step in. God's going to step in. He's going to take the cup of wrath. He's going to pour it out on those who have not been doing his will. It's time now to punish the oppressor instead of the victims. And even today, Jerusalem's under the boot of the oppressor. Believe it or not, we saw this last week. We saw Jerusalem being divided into four quarters, the, the old city. And sometimes Israel seems to be standing alone. And believe me, I don't think Israel does everything right. I think this, it's a pagan, it's a secular nation, currently, secular government. But they are still, they are still God's chosen people. But they seem to be standing alone around those who wish to push them into the sea. And the day is coming when God's going to get between Israel and its tormentors, and he's going to change the landscape. We see this image of tormentors walking on the backs of the oppressed. This is a very barbaric practice that was well documented in the ancient Near East, especially in the Assyrian inscriptions, that when you would conquer a nation, you would actually have the people bow down, and you would, the conquerors would walk on top of them. On their backs. It's humiliating. But the oppressors now were going to have to drink the wrath of the Lord. Those who humiliated his people are now going to be humiliated. That's why it says, you know, don't seek vengeance. Don't. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And what God can do to people is a million times, a billion times worse than anything you could ever imagine. But understand, if they repent, he won't do it. And we have to accept that. You and I one day will be exonerated. All the troubles, all the trials, all of the persecutions, all those things that were said about us when we were growing up as kids, all those things... All those things we experience in the world are going to be gone. Those who have mistreated us and who continue to mistreat or will mistreat us in the future are going to have to drink the wrath of God. And while this might make us feel better now, you know, oh, well, you know, go ahead, bring it on. I don't care because you're going to get yours. <laughs> That's not the attitude we need to have. We need to have, yeah, go ahead, do your worst to me, but understand I feel so sorry for you because you're going to drink the wrath of God. And I wish you didn't have to. 
We need to pray that they don't have to, that they would repent. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain unto the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Well, I love my family. Wasn't that enough? I love my neighbor. I, I went out and helped them mow. I helped them do the garden. I gave $5 to that poor guy that's been sitting on the side of the street. I love them. What good is it? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You're no better than they are. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? I've been watching, I've got, I'll admit I have an addiction. <laughs> I've been watching shorts on YouTube. They're only like 30 seconds to a minute long. The ones that are my favorite are where they walk up to a guy one guy, the one I watched this morning, this guy walks up. It makes me feel better about society, I think is why I'm watching him. Walks up to this homeless guy who's sitting there eating a muffin. And the guy says, man, I'm really hungry. Do you have anything you can share with me? And the homeless guy gives him his other muffin and makes a space for him to sit next to him. And they eat, the, they eat their muffins together. And then the, the guy who came up to the, the homeless guy gets up and hands him an envelope and walks away. And the guy opens it, and there's probably $100 in there. minor thing, but understand that we're, we're supposed to love those who persecute us. We're supposed to pray for those who hurt us. We're supposed to do good to people. Not because in the tax collectors to do that, but not because, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we want to be sons of the Father in Heaven. Because don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. See, the question is not, is not will persecution come, but when? When? And will we stand strong and not have fear? We need to have faith that God's going to carry us through any trying time that we experience. And that there's a purpose behind it. Behind every single stress, every single trial, every single persecution we are going through. Paul tells the church of Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, But you have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but it doesn't drive us to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is the blessing that I want to proclaim to you today that is ours. That in us and through us, Jesus will be revealed when we give him authority and sovereignty over our lives. When we trust him and not fear what this world can do to us. In times of stress, in times of trials, in times of persecution, we need to move forward without fear, but with hope and strength that comes from Jesus Christ, who is our hope and our peace. Let's pray.